This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. Now we're broadcasting to you live from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa and online www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Onelin Tsinsi and Tracy Boongard. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Kenya announces that its troops will remain in Somalia after five other countries plan withdrawing their troops. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa granted the country's power utility permission to hike electricity tariffs in April 2019. In economics, the Ugandan shilling slightly stronger due to subdued demand for US dollars. And in sports, AFCON 2019 second leg qualifiers take center stage, but first, we're going to find out what is happening in the news with Onelin. And we take a look at your latest news this hour. The U.S. Embassy in Liberia is expressing confidence in the credibility of the West African nation's elections. This says the runoff vote is postponed for investigations into allegations of fraud and irregularities. International soccer star George Weah and Vice President Joseph Boakai were to face off in a November 7 runoff to replace Africa's first female president, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. Third-place candidate Charles Abramskin, however, filed a complaint alleging fraud and seeking to overturn the October results. The World Anti-Doping Agency has decided to maintain Russia's suspension for being non-compliant. The ruling comes less than three months before the Winter Olympics in South Korea, where Russia could still face a ban by the International Olympic Committee. Russia was suspended two years ago after a report detailed a state-sponsored doping scheme by the 2014 Sochi Winter Games. The president of WADA, Craig Reddy, announced the latest decision at a press conference. Police in Kenya have arrested several people during opposition demonstrations called to push for the removal of Electoral Commission officials who conducted August presidential elections. The Kenyan Supreme Court last month invalidated President Uhuru Kenyatta's second-term victory, citing irregularities but did not indicate any specific commissioner or official. The opposition has called for demonstrations every Monday and Friday to push for reform ahead of fresh presidential elections later in the month and lastly the Catalan regional government minister of external relations role remover has insisted that Catalonia parliament will meet despite a Spanish constitutional court order suspending the session 
regional parliament is expected expected the debate rather uh, the results of the disputed referendum and possibly make an uh, unilateral declaration of independence, something Madrid uh, strenuously opposes. Meanwhile, the head of Catalonia's regional police force has testified in court as one of four people suspected of alleged sedition in connection with protests before the referendum. Channel Africa News, I am Onelinsinsi. Thank you very much, Onele. Uh, it's good to be here. It's a Monday afternoon. <laughs> for all, for everybody, because it's kind of blue for some of us. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. But Onele, I want to speak about something that is in our top stories this hour. Yeah. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa granted the country's power utility permission to hike electricity tariffs in April of 2019. Now, we've already seen petrol go up <laughs> quite a bit. We're having it hard, guys. Mm. South Africans are having it hard. Tell me about the petrol increase. How has that affected you personally I so think, far? And at, at this point, I think it's, it's gone to all dimensions. Basically, all people in most, you know, whether you call it standard of living, I think we're all kind of now starting to feel the effect mm. of the petrol price hike. Some of us have had to leave our cars home. Other of people course. still have the privilege of still being able to drive their cars. Mm. But mm. I mean, knowing some of us, the distances we drive to get to work, you know, we've had to kind of come to a compromise. So it's pinching in our pockets. And now we're talking about uh, electricity price hikes. So I don't know. Hey? And this is the thing that people don't understand is that petrol actually affects everything, everything else. Yes, because food yes, needs to be transported. Yes. You know, everything. It, 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 it's like it's like a, a pebble yeah. in, in a dam. You know, it has the ripple effect. Exactly. So I don't know how we are then. You know, and in my head, and I... I wish I could say this better, mm-hmm. but I had assumed economically, because our current president is a businessman, <laughs> <laughs> would kind of be able to find, you know, a level of economical way or standard of, of being able to assist, especially the poor in the country. Mm-hmm. And the opposite is happening, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you start to question and to wonder, you know, then mm. are, are I mean, we... The first thing we saw was VAT go yeah. up, then it was petrol. Which will also possibly increase now with a new finance minister. Again, I know. Minister. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But you can, of course, let us know what you think of all of these increases that are going to affect South Africans uh, from all walks of life in different shapes and sizes and forms. Yeah. Uh, of course, you can go onto our Twitter. It is at Channel Africa 1. And you can let us know your views on the situation. The time now is 17.07 Central African time and you're still listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Now, Kenya has announced that its troops will remain in Somalia after five other countries withdrawing their troops in May next year. The troops are serving in Somalia under the umbrella of the African Union Mission in Somalia, in short, AMISM. James Shimanyula reports. The United Nations Security Council's mandate for AMISM troops to end their mission in Somalia ends on the 31st of May next year. In other words... It is on that date that more than 20,000 AMISOM troops will officially withdraw from the Horn of Africa nation. The troops have been drawn from Uganda, Burundi, Ethiopia, Djibouti, Sierra Leone and Kenya. Now Kenya says its troops will remain in Somalia after the rest of the troops withdraw from there. Officially announcing that Kenyan troops will stay in Somalia after the expiry of the AMISOM mission there, President Uhuru Kenyatta said, We will continue to maintain our presence in Somalia under AMISOM until our security objectives and those of the international community are achieved, including the restoration of peace and stability in Somalia.
Kenyatta flashed back to seven years ago when Kenya sent troops in Somalia following a spate of deadly attacks in the capital Mogadishu. Our entry into Somalia in 2011 was informed by the threat that our nation faced then and now. This is an indication of the importance that we as a government attach to regional and international peace and security. Apart from Kenya sending in troops to Somalia, it has also contributed military personnel for international peace missions, as Kenyan leader Uhuru Kenyatta confirms. I wish to acknowledge the fact that Kenya has been a major troop-contributing country to international peace support missions. And in this regard, Kenya has over the years remained receptive to requests to contribute to peace operations in our region and beyond. Alluding to complexity of security in the East African region, Kenyatta brought to light the following factor. Today we live in an age of complex transnational threats to both national and international security. Our region continues to experience major security challenges emanating from terror networks that emerge and have thrived by taking advantage of the ungoverned spaces in the Horn of Africa. These networks continue to target our people in order to create fear and affect our everyday life. That was Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Tanzanian President John Magufuli has pledged to continue honoring ideals of the East African nation's founding leader, Julius Nyerere. For the benefit of the entire nation, now Nyerere made the pledge in commemoration of the 19th anniversary of the death of the country's founding father. Nyerere died on October 14, 1999, while receiving medical treatment in London and the United Kingdom. Since then, Tanzanians have been commemorating the day by organizing various activities, including debates and forums in honor of his patriotism and outstanding leadership. Channel Africa spoke to Fortune uh, Kasomvi, Tanzanian political commentator, about the legacy that Nyerere has left behind. The only thing I can tell about Julius Nyerere is much about an African, a real son of the soil of Africa. I remember one of his quotes, he said, Tanzania, uh, whereby it got its independence in 1961. He just said to us, as Tanzanians, that we are not freedom. We are not free. The freedom is not there. Still, the whole Africa are free. So he played his role. He tried all means, whatever he could do, to make sure that the whole Africa is liberated. It's when now, he said, now we can really enjoy the freedom of Africa. So that thing made me, knowing him that he was a real uh, leader of Africa, he was real the son of the soil of Africa, he also thought much about others without taking care of his own country that, okay, I'm a president, I've got my position, I have to take care of my country alone and I don't care about others. But he, he was much concerned about other countries, more than even his own country. And he was just talking about this. He prepared us that you have to be ready. You have to get prepared to welcome the freedom fighters, to welcome them, train them, make them friends, make them brothers and sisters, so as they can go, and we can go together, fight for freedom, so as Africa could be liberated. I remember him for that. Now, this is also a good time, I suppose, uh, fortune for reflections on uh, the country's progress as uh, the founding president's ideals uh, that he has held. What do you make of uh, the progress uh, that uh, the country has made in terms of building national peace and democracy in the country? Uh, the democracy is there, even though now. After being gone, you know, it's the same thing like a father. When the father has left home, always there are some kinds of coalition between the families, between the, the, the mother side and the father side. It looks like now, we, you know, he left us without uh, some kind of uh, a proper 
dimension, we can say that, even though he left us 1985. And uh, by that time, before even we accepted the multi-party system, another side of wisdom came from him. Because uh, uh, when they voted, uh, before we agreed that we can go to the multi-party system, it was a single-party uh, system in Tanzania. But uh, the people, when they voted, they said, no, they are not ready for a multi-party system. But him, as a father of the nation, said, no, as the whole uh, entire world is now going to the changes, we need multi-party system. Even though people were not ready for the multi-party system, he said, no, I think it's a better way now. We should have to go into the direction whereby the world is going. So uh, we have to accept this other political path. But due to what we see uh, nowadays, it's contrary to what uh, Mohim Julius said. And he mentioned a lot, like, okay, a real opposition leader of the opposition will come from TCM, Chama Chama Pidu, the ruling part. But nowadays, it looks like differently because uh, the political parties are not given their own uh, position. They are not given a priority and privilege to have the meetings and everything. The outings, meetings are banned. They are not there. Now some people are saying incumbent President John Magufudi um, has got a trait of Nyerere that gives them hope and optimism about the future of the nation. Others describe him as a rare president sent by God to remind Tanzanian citizens of their responsibility to the nation and of their own dignity. Do you share this sentiment? Yeah, somewhere, somehow, he's trying to shape us into that way. But, you know, the world always is changing. We have to accept changes. And always, the changes is the only difficult thing for a person or a human being to accept. We know that we need changes. And the change should go with time. And Julius Nyerere, I'm sure if he could be alive this moment, he would have a say. And some of the people are now shouting and crying. Even yesterday, some of the, the churches and uh, some of the, the places where people were praying and they say, okay, Julia, Morimu, please, would you just have a word on this, what is happening? He's trying all means, but there are some kind of things which are happening in a closed door, whereby people are not getting information. People are disappearing. People are just getting uh, the bodies into the shore of the uh, Indian Ocean by Cocoa Beach. And the government doesn't say anything. And recently, one of our rich person, one of our fortune, you can say one son of Tanzania, is just gone missing. Up to today, the family is just sitting. Today, they've offered that if anyone with information would just give to the family or to the, uh, uh, I mean the police so as they can be able to get where about Mr. Mohammed Dewij is, um, uh, occasionally known as Mo, then the family would give them uh, one billion Tanzanian shillings. And it's not the first or the last person missing now. People are just worried. The government is just keeping quiet. He's one of the rich person, he's the youngest person, a rich person in Africa. The government hasn't said anything. They just mixed his statements and all those stuff. Uh, the journalists are missing. Some of the people are just gone astray. We don't know where are they. And that was Fortune Kasom, the Tanzanian political analyst, talking to Kumbero Munzereri. The time now is 1718. And moving to Geneva, Switzerland, the Interparliamentary Union's 139th Assembly is underway in Geneva. And the Assembly is being held under the theme Parliamentary Leadership in Promoting Peace and Development in the Age of Innovation and Technological Change. It concludes on Thursday. And uh, to discuss this further, we are joined on the line by the IPU Secretary General, Martin Chungong. Mr. Chungong, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me. Now, Secretary General, would you please tell us uh, what would you say is the mandate of the Interparliamentary Union? Uh, the mandate of the Interparliamentary Union uh, generally, is to, generally is to promote democracy and uh, to promote uh, the pillars of democracy, that is Parliament, making sure that Parliament play an effective role not only nationally but increasingly international. And this is because we think that uh, parliaments can uh, bridge the democracy gap in international governance. 
And when we try to do this, we, of course, do the advocacy work, but we're also realistic that many parliaments may not have the capacity or skills to perform adequately. And that is why we step in to build capacity to create awareness of the issues on the global agenda. Now, could you tell us a little bit more about this year's theme and program? What's on the agenda? Yeah, the thing is uh, we uh, always strive to make sure that parliaments are relevant, and that is it means that parliaments have to be addressing issues and taking, uh, po- making policies and decisions on the basis of those issues that are relevant to their constituents, to the people. And uh, in the course of our interactions with various partners, we have come to the realization that uh, there is a gap between the scientific, the technological world, and the world of policymakers, that is parliamentarians. And that gap we want Mm -hmm. to bridge. We are bringing together uh, those who make policies in their countries and the scientific community so that at the end of the day we can bring the people back to the uh, the center of uh, science and technology. Science and technology have to be used uh, to improve upon the welfare of the people and not to negative ends. Uh, For instance, uh, manufacturing weapons and other uh, things that are harmful to mankind, but we're looking at how you can use technology and science to improve on livelihoods. Also, we are looking at how science can serve as a platform for bringing communities that are in conflict with one, or, uh, one another uh, to the table and to cooperate with a view to improving upon the welfare of the people. This is not always obvious when uh, you talk about uh, science. People do see uh, scientists in their laboratories with their white overalls uh, carrying out experiments without uh, the ordinary person in the street understanding how this uh, uh, is supposed to lead to uh, the improvement on their uh, living conditions and standards. Now, with regards so that's the, the, the overall theme of the of, of the assembly. All right. Now, with regards to um, improving communities and improving people's livelihoods through innovation and technological change, uh, which countries would you say are on the forefront of that movement at the moment? Well, I, I would I would not like to uh, start uh, establishing uh, league tables. I think that every country has got. Uh, uh, the uh, some uh, sort of capital when it comes to innovation and uh, technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we're trying to do is uh, uh, just encourage each uh, uh, country, each parliament that is present here, to explain how they are dealing with these uh, matters in their country so that we can begin to identify good practice that we can disseminate for the rest of the people. But we are not doing this just among the converted. We're not preaching uh, among the converted. We are yes. bringing in partners of the scientific community. For instance, this morning, we had uh, the Director General of the U- uh, European Organization on Nuclear Research, you know, saying that uh, uh, invented the World Wide Web uh, they were here uh, this morning, Director General was here to explain how her organization can contribute to this discussion and uh, help inform uh, policy making in uh, the various countries. We also have another partner that spoke this afternoon, and uh, that is Hank Rogers uh, from the United States, uh, and he was looking at how technology can be used to reverse uh, the harmful effects of climate change, how technology can be used to introduce new forms of uh, energy that are cleaner and renewable. So uh, there is this interaction between science and policy making, which we're encouraging all the time. All right. Now, the Assembly is expected to unveil a groundbreaking report on violence against women in European parliaments. Please tell us about the report, and is it only applicable to European parliaments? Well, I must say that... Uh, this uh, uh, piece of work started in 2016 mm-hmm. when we issued a global, a global report on uh, violence against women uh, uh, parliamentarians. And uh, that was an eye-opener. Today, that the findings of uh, that particular study serve as a reference for uh, addressing the issue of violence against women politicians. And, uh, for instance, uh, one of the findings was that uh, up to 82% of women parliamentarians have experienced some form of uh, violence, including physical and psychological violence. Mm, So it mm. was an eye-opener because the conclusion was that if uh, parliamentarians who are supposed to be the elite in society are themselves subjected to this uh, scourge of uh, 
gender-based violence, sexual harassment, and all that. What about the ordinary woman in the streets? Of course. This was the reason why we decided uh, to now dig deeper, and then we went into uh, the um, uh, situation in Europe uh, and uh, wanted to know more. And we expanded the study uh, not only to women parliamentarians, but also to women uh, parliamentary staff, uh, where we realize that the situation is even worse because they uh, uh, are in a position of subservience to their male colleagues, the male members of parliament mm. who they are serving. So it's a study that we'll be launching uh, in a couple of days here in uh, Geneva. And uh, I can say that it's fairly representative. The study is uh, fairly uh, representative, and if I can uh, already reveal some of the findings, we see uh, some 85% of uh, uh, female uh, MPs in Europe took part in the study, and uh, we uh, come to the conclusion that close to 50% of uh, these women had received uh, death threats or threats of rape or beating, wow. which is uh, uh, unacceptable. It's really unacce- unacceptable. Uh, when it comes to online uh, harassment, sexist attacks uh, on the internet, uh, up to 58% uh, of the uh, MPs and parliamentary staff uh, who were interviewed uh, said that they have suffered this type of uh, attacks on the on the internet. And then 67.9% have been the target of comments related to their physical appearance. You know, this mm. is a kind of uh, harassment and intimidation of women parliamentarians. But the point that we make generally is that if we are going to empower women politically and otherwise, we need to address this issue robustly because it is an impediment, it is a deterrent when it comes to women's political participation. And that is why we are focusing on this. And the Me Too campaign that uh, was launched last year is an yes. eye-opener too. You know, the, I, the IPU is a, an active uh, participant in this campaign and we're encouraging uh, parliamentarians, men and women alike, to uh, be active participants in this campaign. I love the fact that you mentioned the Me Too campaign because recently I saw that uh, the University of Cape Town had a silent protest uh, on the Jameson Steps. Uh, and I think that these things are, are, are important for us to filter, you know, either down or upwards from Parliament all the way down to young students. If they're starting at the bottom, they need to filter all the way from the bottom all the way to the top as well. But uh, Secretary General, thank you very much for speaking to us. I think that uh, this conversation was a a big eye-opener. Yes, it it was my pleasure. But I want to say that this is a matter of uh, changing the mindset of uh, various generations. And I agree with you that you have to start with the younger generation. If they are not educated on uh, these issues and they are told that uh, certain types of behavior uh, cultures are unacceptable, then they'll grow up with this and uh, the situation will never be addressed uh, public, uh, properly. Mm. And also, we don't want the issue to be swept under the carpet in the name of uh, cultural and traditional beliefs in many societies. Uh, violence is violence irrespective of religion or uh, culture or tribe, whatever. So we need to address this robustly. And we think that parliaments have the powers to do this. These powers are conferred on them in their constitutions to make laws, to oversee government, ensure accountability, and provide resources to uh, uh, the government to implement policies that uh, will contribute to eliminating this scourge. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, and that was a very interesting conversation with the IPU Secretary General Martin Chungong. And just FYI, a special session marking the 70th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights will be taking place on Tuesday tomorrow, uh, which I believe will conclude uh, an event celebrating the Madiba centenary. But right now the time is 17.28. Going on 17.29 Central African time, you are still listening to... Uh, Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. This is Channel Africa, 
South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. We love Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. And speaking of the news, it's time for us to find out what's happening in the news headlines with Onelen Sinsi. The West African state of Gambia has launched an 11-member truth commission tasked with shedding light on summary executions, disappearances, tortures and crimes under the regime of Assad dictator Yaya Jumei. Kenya says its troops will remain in Somalia even after five other countries withdraw their troops in May next year. And Equatorial Guinea's president, Teodoro Obiangwema, has was ruled the small or rich state with iron fist since 1979 has appointed several members of his family to top military positions. Channel Africa News I'm Onelin Sinsi. The National Energy Regulator of South Africa has granted the country's power utility, ESCOM, permission to hike electricity tariffs in April 2019. Now, this will push up the price of electricity by 10 to 19.4%. NERSA announced this move earlier on this month, done in a bid to recover a regulatory clearing account balance of $2.4 billion that was lost for the 2014, 2015, 2015 and 2016 and 2017 and 2018 financial years due to mismanagement of financial and alleged corruption. The electricity hike will conclude a 4.1% increase which will re- uh, which will be recovered from standard customers over the next four years. Therefore, the hike will fall away after a four-year period. To talk to us more on this, we're joined on the line by uh, Energy Director at the organization Undoing Tax Abuse, Mr. Ted Blom. Ted Blom, thank you very much for joining us on the line. I do. Now, uh, Mr. Blom, would you say that the power utility had no choice but to hike electricity prices? Absolutely not. In doing this for the last 10 years at the excessive rate, Mr. Blom, unfortunately, we didn't catch that. Could you repeat that for us, please? It's premium, if you want to call it that, uh, or recovery has never disappeared. And uh, the over-recovery in the past uh, 10 years has been 1.4 trillion rand. So uh, if, you, if, you, you know, if you take all that uh, excess fat and recovery out, uh, the price of electricity should be less than half in the current, current rate. So there's a lot of fraud going on there. And in fact, the recovery period that they're covering uh, covers the so-called Gupta years when there was excessive fraud which has been proven by various institutions of state, including the Public Protector, the Parliamentary Commission, and now the Eskom Commission of Inquiry. So uh, any increase, I think, is premature. And anyway, if you do strip out all the excess, uh, you, you actually need to have a reduction in price, not an increase. Now, I would like you to, to answer the next question. Uh, as the director of the, the, the organization uh, undoing tax abuse, as well as the citizen, uh, Mr. Ted Blom, is it fair that consumers should pay for the mismanagement which is due to corruption. I'll do an answer right now. I just need to correct you. I'm no longer with Alta. I'm now with Mining and Energy uh, um, um, Advisors. Uh, All right. My old company. I'm no longer with Alta. But as a director of Mining and Energy Advisors, I must say that, uh, and on behalf of the public, it's grossly unfair that the public is being held to ransom for two accounts. Firstly, the corruption, which has been proven. It just hasn't been quantified. And secondly, the uh, the uh, inefficiency, the gross inefficiency of EFCOM. I mean, uh, if you do a benchmark of the, just their staff numbers, they should have no more than around 13,000 staff. They're sitting with 48,000 staff, uh, an increase of over 12,000 uh, 12, staff 
over the last 10 years, doing nothing. I mean, that's the problem. Is that 75% of the organization's uh, staff uh, don't have a job. Mm, mm. And they are paid four times the world uh, world average. <laughs> for, wow. for, for, no, for no work. So, firstly, there, there's, there's uh, 35,000 too many of them. And, uh-huh. and secondly, they, all of them are getting paid four times what they should be getting paid. Wow. So, so now we, you understand why the organization is in terrible trouble financially. Exactly. I mean, uh, when we look at the fact that uh, we now need to pay for this mismanagement and this corruption, but at the same time, the services are not improving. Um, are you? Are you? Th- in, in do you think that uh, the the hike will fall away after the four years, considering the status uh, the peristal finds itself in? Okay, so uh, the, the fact of the matter is that that might cancel out, although historically they've forgotten to cancel out after the required period. That's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, historically Eskom comes with two increases. The, uh, the upfront increase, which in this instance is 15% per year uh, over three years, so that's more than 50% price increase, which is compounded. Uh, that's the first thing. And then secondly, they come with this regulatory clearing account, the RCA increase, which is post-factor or after the fact. Uh, where they come for another four to five percent. So the fact of the matter is, when you do an evaluation of Eskom's uh, budget going forward, mm-hmm. I've done it for 2030, and, and in every year Eskom will need, on average, whether it's upfront or with a recovery budget increase, they need around 25 percent increase in 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 in, in, in revenue uh, to to because their costs go up by that much. And in every year, right up to 2030, uh, if there's no recapitalization of Eskom. Yeah. Uh, they keep on making a, 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 a loss every year, and they are insolvent in 2030 as they are insolvent right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that so there's, there's yes. something wrong? You know, it's got a massive puncture, but the government doesn't seem to realize that. Mm. Do you think that there's a way for um, us to drop electricity prices without compromising uh, ESCOM's financial well-being? Well, you know what? The most benign way to drop the prices is to cut, cut, and cut again. Because mm-hmm. uh, my estimate is that if you cut the, the, the headcount numbers, just the active numbers, not even the salaries, uh, given that salaries are notoriously difficult to uh, force downwards, you save at least 22 billion rand a year. Eskom made about a billion rand loss, so that will immediately turn it into a 23 billion rand profit. Mm. That's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, uh, systematically, over the next three or four years, one needs to uh, cut the tariffs back and, uh, and, and the organization needs to become more efficient over a four or five year period. Uh, and thirdly, we need to strip out all the corruption. The corruption, I estimate, is between two and ten billion rand a month. Mm, mm. That's a lot of corruption. That is a lot of corruption. There's no urgency. There's no urgency on the government. They've had a new board for nine months and they've done nothing. They've, 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 five people have resigned. I mean... There's thousands of people that are now on the bandwagon of corruption because when they see the leaders steal, the next level steals, then the yes. next level steals. And I've got confirmation that down to project level, lawnmower services, catering services, there is mm. wide-scale corruption. So that's, it's like a cantum and it's throughout the organization. Now, if we actually trim the fat... Um, you know, and all of these uh, extra people are you know, laid off for... Uh, however it needs to be done, uh, what would be the, the repercussions of that, considering the public outcry that would come from that uh, with regards to the fact that we also have a high unemployment rate? Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, the, the reason we've got a high unemployment rate is because more than 50% of our mines and foundries have closed over the last year. Mm. And the reason they've closed is because of the high electricity price. They are not competitive. If you have the electricity price, you immediately will create, within a period of 18 months, 3 million new jobs. I guarantee mm. you that. And, right. and I think my, my guarantee is a little bit more founded and justified than uh, some of the politicians' guarantees uh, <laughs> about uh, the new jobs. Uh, I, I'm prepared to roll up my sleeves and they can pay me some money for it if I sort it out. And if I don't sort it out, they don't have to pay me a penny. I'm so sure that I, w- I will create those extra jobs. Mr. Blom, thank you very much for speaking to us. And I think you've brought some insight to um, some of our listeners who might not have had much knowledge about the situation. And of course, uh, myself as well. Absolutely. And uh, now the bottom line is, no organization is going to uncorrupt itself. You need hands-on 
fist, never mind uh, arm, uh, elbows. You need fist because it won't let go. Mm, mm. Well, thank you very much. much, Thank you, thank you. And that was Ted Blom uh, speaking to us on the line about, uh, you know, the the South African National Energy Regulator and all of its financial woes, as well as the uh, electricity tariff hikes, which are expected to happen next year in April. But moving on right now, South Africa's Bavenda King Tony Mpepu Ramabulana has offered to pay back any money that the Reserve Bank report says was taken illegally from VBS Mutual Bank. The Great Bank Heist uh, report says he received $1.7 million from VBS in gratuitous payments. Uh, meanwhile, VBS employees at Louis Trichard and Toyandu branches in Limpopo have reported for duty despite having been handed retrenchment notices on Friday. Retrenched packages were issued to 100 employees, while the other 25 are to remain at the bank. The retrenched workers have not yet signed the notices, saying that they are not happy with the severance packages. They are expected to work until November 12th. More from spokesperson at South African Federation of Trade Unions, Patrick Craven. Yes, it's uh, yet another proof that uh, the main people who have suffered from the absolutely appalling level of uh, looting by very wealthy people, are the poorest. Workers' jobs are now on the line, as was it inevitable, and they can only hope that other banks will consider employing some of those workers at the very least. But also uh, depositors. A lot of the money that was deposited in DSB, BBS, was by uh, Stockfells, Burial Society, and uh, municipal authorities in the poorest part of uh, South Africa. And uh, they uh, face the loss of huge amounts of money. And of course it has a knock-on effect because it means the money available for those municipalities to uh, spend more on education, healthcare, uh, roads, uh, sanitation, and all these other services has been drastically cut so that uh, the poor will suffer doubly by losing their jobs by losing money that was invested in this bank and by losing in the quality of service which is provided uh, in those areas. So it's a a disaster for people and that's why it's so important that those responsible must be brought to justice as quickly as possible. Not only should they be personally uh, punished, but uh, every effort should be made to get back every cent that has been uh, stolen from that bank. Now, Mr. Craven, do you think politicians in this regard are really let down at the people? Politicians are involved, yes, uh, but not only politicians. It's a point that SAFTA has made over and over again, that corruption is a crime that uh, spreads across both the public sector, politicians, civil servants, and the private sector, because every public officer who receives a bribe uh, as a private company that made the bribe, and uh, we believe that uh, it's becoming clear now that corruption is far wider than we ever thought, or at least ever officially admitted. It's not just a scandal, bad as it is, of Gupta's and the uh, Zuma and uh, a small number of uh, public officials, but it spreads right across the economy, and we believe fundamental changes are needed to uh, make accountability and democracy work better so that nobody is able to get away with this. In particular, mm. we want to protect whistleblowers mm. who uh, are now increasingly playing a role that for too long, and probably still in many cases today, uh, are too afraid to uh, reveal what they know yeah. for fear that their jobs will be at, at risk. Now, let's uh, talk about, you know, accountability when it comes to certain um, issues like this one that has cropped up now. Do you see people who are involved really getting uh, prosecuted for the demise of the bank and, of course, the loss of uh, uh, people's money? Yes, it's absolutely urgent that uh, this is uh, taken up. That's why we welcome this report so much. But I think uh, we need to carry on from that report possibly even the same uh, person who's obviously uh, now very, very well aware of what's been going on to see what further measures can be taken to, um, to rectify this problem. But also, I think, 
the people who are supposed to be controlling the financial sector, um, the banking uh, authorities, the, uh, the accountancy governing body, should all have a very close look at what's going on amongst all their members. It's absolutely outrageous that accountants, who are after all employed precisely to try to avoid a crisis like this, are found to be not only not stopping it, but have been actively involved in it, which is uh, quite outrageous and clearly uh, a fundamental overhaul of these uh, very important uh, accounting companies needs to be carried out. And uh, just uh, finally, Mr. Craven, do you think uh, workers you know, are always at the receiving end of, of bad management, and how do we change this? Well, one, I've already mentioned, whistleblowers. Workers must be praised if they uh, expose corruption and theft by their employers, not threatened with uh, dismissal, which is what very often happens today. But also, I think workers need to get uh, more organized in their, their trade unions so that they're not just individuals trying to confront all these problems, but there is a strong voice in the trade union movement. Sadly, even some trade union leaders are implicated in this report, which is very, very worrying. So um, we don't just want to blame others. We need to look to ourselves to do everything we possibly can to make sure that uh, we have a a very good record ourselves in uh, not accepting any kind of uh, inducement that uh, would involve an illegal theft of money through bribery, through corruption, tender manipulation, or whatever else. And that was Patrick Craven, spokesperson at the South African Federation of Trade Unionism, Unionism, sorry, uh, on the line talking to Zikona Miso. But right now, let's find out what Tracy has in store for us in the world of economics. Thank you. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has categorically rejected reports that he failed to take action on the VBS Bank saga, despite allegedly being alerted to irregularities in 2017. According to media reports, a whistleblower told Ramaphosa while he was deputy president of the country about the looting at the bank, but says the president took no action. In a statement, the presidency has labelled the allegation as baseless and unsubstantiated. IT executive at the South African Revenue Services, Andre Rabi, says information technology efficiencies and support functions at SARS were destroyed when suspended Commissioner Tom Moyani stopped them and instead appointed global advisory firm Gartner to provide a new multi-phased IT strategy. Rabi says there was no need for a new IT strategy at SARS as there was already one in place. Previous testimonies revealed that Gartner followed an irregular tender process to win a more than $13 million SARS contract. It reportedly extended 40% of its contract fee to Range Wave, a company linked to Patrick Monieki, a close friend of Moyani. Robbie is appearing before the SARS Commission of Inquiry underway in the country's capital, Pretoria. There was no consideration for, for the digitized specific requirements um, and this led us to you know going down the path where we pretty much are now and effectively because of the fact that our support functions are not uh, helping the digital environment going forward infrastructure are far behind updates are far behind um, and it's pointing towards an imminent collapse of the of the digital infrastructure in SARS. Workers affiliated to the National Union of Mine Workers in South Africa and the plastic industry did not pitch up for work as their strike action commenced. Workers were expected to picket outside various plastic manufacturing factories countrywide. The strike is indefinite and workers want a 15% wage increase across the board. Shares in Egypt's Sarwa capital fell just over 15% on the first day of trading on the Egyptian stock exchange. Sawa's flotation is among a number of new share offerings from both private and state companies expected to test investor appetite in Egypt over the coming months. 
Both sides of the Brexit negotiations have warned that an EU summit this week is unlikely to approve an agreement on Britain's withdrawal. The Irish Foreign Minister Simon Coveney said he was frustrated and disappointed that intense negotiations through his British counterpart Jeremy Hunt said a deal was still possible. The BBC's Norman Smith reports. The prospect of any breakthrough at this week's EU summit would now appear remote following the apparent deadlock over the Northern Ireland backstop. These are the arrangements that will be put in place to avoid a hard border in Northern Ireland in the event the EU and the UK cannot agree a trade deal. Mrs May will set out to MPs why she believes the EU's insistence there should be a final fallback position which would see Northern Ireland Ireland remaining inside the EU's customs union and single market is unacceptable. The US dollar is trading at 10.50 Botswana Pula and at 12.19 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 3.78 Brazilian Hale, at 66.01 Russian Ruble, at 73.49 Indian Rupee, at 6.92 Chinese Yuan and at 14.34 to the South African Rand. It's also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 86 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,229 and platinum at $846 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $80.18 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. And right now it's time for us to find out what's happening in the world of sport with Musibudi Makura. Good evening sports fans and starting off with football news from the immaculate FNB Stadium grass pitch to the uncomfortable Stadia Lente's artificial pitch in Victoria, Seychelles on Tuesday. Bafana Bafana head coach Stuart Baxter says they have prepared themselves for those conditions. Bafana landed in the Seychelles safely on Sunday ahead of their second leg game against the Islanders on Tuesday afternoon, just a few days after thumping them 6-0 in an AFCON 2019 qualifier on Saturday at the FNB Stadium. Now coach Baxter says the condition of the pitch could force them to tweak their tactical approach. Their pitch is not easy to play on. Their pitch, I spoke to their coach when we were in London at the the FIFA Awards and he said that the ball was bouncing, the ball when it came down it bounced up as high as it, it was before. So it will certainly be a difficult game, it will certainly be a different game. We may need to tweak our tactical approach but I think if we show the same passion to get on the ball and play and move them about, I think we can do that on any surface. So I'm optimistic, but knowing that it's going to be difficult and different. Well, it will be interesting to see just how many changes Baxter will make as he could be tempted to give other players a run from his 25-man squad. Baxter warns that the Seychelles could be a different team in front of their home crowd. I think they will be hoping that the first 15 minutes at their place will see them having the ball a lot and us struggling. And if they're buoyed by that, they will think that if we can create a couple like we did against Nigeria and defend a little bit better, then we have a chance. Meanwhile, the Super Eagles of Nigeria are gunning for their third consecutive victory when they take on Libya in their 2019 Africa Cup of Nations reverse fixture on Tuesday night. Now, the first leg ended on a sour note for the Mediterranean Knights as they were subdued 4-0 at the Godswell Akpagyo Stadium at the weekend. Now, the Super Eagles are second in Group E with six points after three matches behind South Africa, who are leading the pack with seven points. Former Nigerian international goalkeeper Greg Etafia is confident that the Super Eagles will win against Libya. With the hunger and the, and the squad, I speak to a lot of them, you know, uh, during the weekend, you know, they're really determined to, 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 to raise the Nigerian flag. I think they're going to win again in, in, in Libya. And uh, the, the, the important game is going to be the one against, uh, against South Africa to determine who is going to top, top the group. Well, asked about the pressures that comes with uh, playing two back-to-back encounters, Itafia says it will be difficult, but believe the Super Eagles have what it takes to make it th- um, two out of two. 
it's very difficult because right now the first leg, okay, you didn't really know what you expect. But after the first first game, you know now you know who is the danger man in the opponent side and who is your. They, they know your danger man too. But the good thing about Nigerian team now going to play Libya, they are playing in neutral ground, which is Tunisia there. So it's a neutral ground. Everything that can qualify now, I think, it's fair. The refs are doing well. And the, the other advantage Nigeria have now, the captain, the goalkeeper of the Libyan side, is, is going to be suspended in this game. And which is one advantage, you know, the, the, the advantage for Nigeria, because the, other, the second goalkeeper that is coming in, you know, is going to be too much pressure for him. And finally, AC Rugby is reportedly planning to scrap Springbok contracts with players to earn bigger test match fees instead. The idea was proposed by Springbok coach Rassi Erasmus, who also doubles up as the SZ Rugby Director of Rugby. If the proposal is accepted, there will no longer be joint contracts for certain players, with current, um, which currently sees SA Rugby paying 70%, while the provisional union pays about 30%. This is Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. And that is how we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Leander Maume, and technical producer Adrian Kenny, as well as the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. For comments on the show, you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or you can send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. That is plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. And you can also tweet us at Channel Africa One. Whilst you're there, why not follow us as well? Taking us to the top of the hour is Mdanomdu by Kid X featuring Shwi Nomdekala. Without a doubt, respect that fresh, you're not the type of time to fall in down. Always show up just to show off, then you shut it down. Independent misses could be worth a couple hundred dollars. On my yearly budget, my figo peg or dinner, wash your window, naked washing. You got every single thing I'm making To imagine I done had you on my radar for a minute, I'm infatuated with. Everything about you, you're a beauty pageant queen. Wouldn't sell your dreams about things I couldn't guarantee. Falling in love, I told because such a bad routine. You forehead first, could end up a casualty. I could be boyfriend number two, in case you need that pleasure, please. I've been all around looking for the right time until I ran into a rough diamond. I'm finna change your last name, went to my shop since I've been gone so fast that sky.